The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. And our guest today is Meg She's a contributing editor and a former Balancing Acts columnist for Inc. Magazine. She continues to write a blog by that name that touches on some of the same topics. And what that does is explore the work-life balance issues among entrepreneurial families, something that I'm sure is very near and dear to all of us that are here today. And now Meg has written a book that explores those topics, For Better or For Work, A Survival Guide for Entrepreneurs and Their Families. And Meg's here to talk with us today about surviving the entrepreneurial life. Welcome to the show today, Meg. Thank you so much. So let's go back in time a bit to when your husband first decided to make that entrepreneurial leap. Not only were you an entrepreneurial spouse, but it was really a family affair because, as I understand it, uh, most of the family was involved, not just your husband. Is that right? Well, actually, he had started the business before uh, he and I met, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was just in a sort of a really, really, it was tiny, you know, they were just producing maybe a few hundred cups of yogurt a week, it really hardly existed. This is, by the way, Stonyfield Yogurt, um, located in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I met him, I, I I didn't come from an entrepreneurial background, and so I didn't really understand that when you marry an entrepreneur, you're also marrying your business. I mean, this was, you know, sort of a shock to me that um, I, I really discovered it when I moved up to live with him. We decided to get married, and I moved up to New Hampshire. I was living in New Jersey to live with him at the farm, and I thought, oh, my God, holy cow, because we literally we had cows, um, <laughs> and we had, all the, we had uh, all the employees, and we had the production facility. We were all on top of each other on this farm in New Hampshire and it was it was kind of a shock. And so, you know, from then even if you're not in that sort of intense situation with your business or your spouse's business, as that is to say living with it and, you know, day and night, still, you know, one of the, the major themes of my writing is that any entrepreneurial business inevitably involves family. You know, yes. we have this very romantic view of the entrepreneur sort of setting forth and you know, conquering new territories, new products, and and that that is true to some extent. But what I the points that I'm trying to make have to do with the fact that the entrepreneur is also dragging with him or her a whole caravan of people uh, into that adventure. You know, like it or not. Yes. Yes. Well, and let's talk about that. So often, entrepreneurs receive information about okay, you need to have. Six months, or pick a, pick a number, six months of finances set aside. You need to be aware of this. You need to make sure that you've, you've chosen the correct legal form for your business, whether it's a corporation or an LLC or whatever. And all of the, you have to have your business plan written. So all this readiness activity that they're encouraged and counseled to do. And I think that what you're talking about often gets a back seat to these other pieces, and yet 
really the rest of those pieces don't matter a whole lot if you don't have the buy-in and the support of those who are closest from you, namely your family, a spouse, a significant other. Your kids are going to be impacted if you have children. Why do you think that that is, that that doesn't get as much play? Well, it's a great question. Uh, it, it surprised me, actually, uh, to discover how little play it does get. I mean, you said this issue takes a back seat. I would say this issue's not even in the car, you know, mm-hmm. when the entrepreneur sets out. Um, because I think entrepreneurs, they certainly appreciate the financial risk that they're taking when they launch a business, but they routinely underestimate the risks that they're taking in terms of their families. Yes. You know, and not to say that it's all bad. I don't I don't mean to paint it like that, because really being hitched to an entrepreneurial business has been fantastic for me in the end. I mean, we had very, very dicey moments for almost a decade. We, we didn't make a profit in our company for the first nine years. And, you know, we were sort of teetering on the edge of bankruptcy, which mm-hmm. is really an intense way to live. I mean, now Absolutely. the company is really thriving. But, you know, that's something that doesn't, again, tend to get stuff. What's that going to mean for the entrepreneur emotionally, for their family, you know, to have to live with that kind of uncertainty? And, you know, when you ask why is this not discussed, I've wondered it. I've wondered about that myself. And I think it has something to do with the fact that there's so much bravado around entrepreneurial business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's almost sort of by necessity. I mean, we were the same way. We might have lost our morning batch to contamination, but if somebody called and said, how are you doing? How are you guys holding up? How's the business? As I always say, there's only two answers when you're asked a question like that about your business, which is good or great. <laughs> and no one, really, you can't afford to send out any kind of whiff of doubt or fear of failure or anything because if you do, you know, employees, investors, bankers, VCs, suppliers, you know, those people will start to back away from you. Oh, they, um, yeah, when the sharks smell the blood, it's over. Yes. Absolutely, it's over. So everyone's kind of engaged. And as I say, I, I'm sympathetic with that because we had to do it too. I, you know, I really understand that. But there is this kind of bravado. And they think they don't know who they can trust, you know, who they can really let their hair down with, who's not going to judge them or blame them. Or, you know, there's a, there's a lot of isolation involved, not just for entrepreneurs, but for their families as well. And that's the reason why I love organizations like uh, EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, because they do have these forums where they get people together every month. They you know, own a maximum of eight or ten, I think. And it's a totally judgment-free, you know, safe zone where they can talk about everything. And, and the entrepreneurs I know who are involved in that, just it, it's so meaningful to them. And I, I just wish that every entrepreneur had access to a forum like that. Well, and there are a lot of EO chapters around the country, so if you're listening out there and you want to check into it, go out to EO's website and see if there is is a chapter in your area. The other thing I wanted to to pick up on there, you talked about the bravado involved, and you talked about living on the brink of bankruptcy for so many years. There's the whole financial aspect of entrepreneurship that can impact a family, a spouse, but there are the emotional part, you've referenced that a few times. You Actually, when you hear about responders like police and firefighters, 
you do hear about the fact that they're married to their partners and the toll that that can take on their marriages. And it's interesting that those are professions where there's a lot of bravado surrounding it as well. And the same thing happens with entrepreneurship. It's that emotional involvement of being with your business. So it's the time away. It's almost like having a, for the entrepreneur, having a second spouse because, and a lot of times spending more time with that other spouse. And, and so it's not just all about the finance. It's it's about much more than that. Exactly. And, you know, the, my book, For Better or For Work, I mean, it, it really could apply to, it's really not just for entrepreneurs. It's really for people who are passionate about their work. True. Because there are so many similar overlying, you know, issues. If you are engaged in a profession where you don't just show up from nine to five, and then, you know, and just for people who do that, there's a kind of a natural break between their work life and their home life, mm-hmm. and their personal life. Um, but more and more people are involved in professions or things that they really care about that follow them home, that you know really make them distracted or feel they're unable to take decisions, you know, because they're they really care about what they do. I mean, people who direct nonprofits, for example, are often in the same situation. Yes. The the financial risk to entrepreneurial business does set it apart. Uh, in significant ways from those other professions I just mentioned. Right. Because that adds a whole layer of stress and tension to the family and entrepreneurs. They tend often to delay key life goals, things that are really important to them, whether it's getting married or having kids or buying a house or taking a long vacation or sabbatical. They tend to delay and delay those things uh, until, you know, fill in the blank. If you just want to get there before you commit to uh, marriage or plan your wedding or have a child or whatever, you know, you can find you can find yourself in middle age or something looking back and saying, wow, you know, I, I didn't do these things that were really important to me. Definitely. Uh, because I was always away. In your work with entrepreneurs, Meg, and even with your own experience perhaps, do you find that when it's a joint venture, it's a joint entrepreneurial venture with both spouses involved as owners of the business versus uh, one spouse or the other being in the business, what what has a higher success rate in terms of the relationship, I'm not necessarily talking about the business, but in terms of the relationship, does one seem to work better in one of the other uh, situations? Uh, I've done so many interviews around this exact topic. It is so quirky and personality-based. I mean, I tried working with my husband in our business, and it just didn't work. Uh, I found it really impossible, so impossible, that I ended up leaving the business after a couple of years. Because you have to be able to do that to work with yourself. You have to be able to be in a work setting, disagree, argue, whatever, and then go home and turn all that stuff off. I have to say that I have interviewed many couples who love working together. I mean, they figured out how to do it. Maybe he runs this aspect of the business, she runs the other aspect of the business, so they don't really they don't report to each other. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily overlay. Uh, in key areas, you know, they figured out how to make it work. And one entrepreneur I know who runs a company with her husband said to me, and it was just so sweet, you know, I thought it was so dear. She said, I can't imagine building my life dream with anyone else. So just because they don't work well together, you know, in the pressure cooker of an entrepreneurial business, doesn't mean that they're not a good couple. True, definitely true, yeah. 
And and you have different management styles, and you give off one uh, vibe to employees, and and maybe you're exactly. maybe you're more task oriented in the office, and your your spouse is more jovial, and so they come along, and and you just had a meeting where everybody is you know has their marching orders, so to speak, and then uh, this other spouse comes along with a totally different management style, and every it makes it look like everything you did was just a big joke. Exactly. <laughs> I've no, seen I've that. <laughs> Yeah. When you're reminding each other and stuff like that. You know, so I always say that couples, they work together. You know, each person needs to have a defined role. We're talking here this morning with Meg Hirschberg, the author of For Better or For Work, A Survival Guide for Entrepreneurs and Their Families. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. It's true, who you know is important, but what you know and how you apply that knowledge is what helps accelerate your career. Benedictine College's Executive MBA program is the only one-year Executive MBA program in Kansas City. The North Johnson County campus and weekend class times are convenient and allow you to learn from world-class thought leaders and collaborate with other executives who intend to make a difference in their business and their community. Go to benedictine.edu slash EMBA. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here this morning with Meg Hirschberg. She is the author of For Better or For Work, a survival guide for entrepreneurs and their families. And she's been talking with us about the emotional and the financial and even the the dynamics of working together as a married couple in, in the same business. And what I'd like to go back to now, Meg, is a comment that you made earlier earlier about how for many years, nine years, I believe you said, your company, the company did not make a profit and at points were teetering on the brink of bankruptcy. If I remember right from your book, you were very candid and said that at certain points you actually wished it had gone bankrupt. Do I have that right? Well, actually, it's true. I just, you know, to live for nine years like that, especially when your investors are friends and family, Yes. Uh, it was so, it was just so pressure-filled. And then they kept, you know, people kept putting more in, trying to protect their earlier investment. It was almost, you know, really a nightmare. I mean, one of our large, our, actually, our largest outside investor was my mother. Oh. And she kept putting money in that she could not afford to lose. And it got to the point where I was, call her and beg her to stop. You know, there's uh-huh. Gary would be calling on one line saying, you know, I need another <laughs> loan or I need another investment. And I'd be calling with the other line saying, Mom, don't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, so this stuff can get very, very hairy. And again, this is yet another example for how uh, business is never just about the entrepreneur. It's also about the family. And I, you know, from my perspective, um, we just, I didn't see how we were ever going to become profitable because our manufacturing was so inefficient and, you know, our cost of goods was really was really mm-hmm. high because we were, make organic yogurt, so our inputs were, you know, were expensive. Of course. So I just, you know, I just saw doom everywhere I looked, and so I just wanted to, you know, cut bait uh, while, while we could and, you know, just say we tried hard and it was, you know, it was great effort, and, but it didn't work. Right. But honestly, I have to say that I think the fact as hard as it was to have our investors, and we we wound up with almost 300 by the end, uh, become you know be friends and family. The fact that it was people we really cared about, as opposed to some random you know venture capitalist. 
Yes. Uh, really incentivized Gary more than anything, I think, to, to keep the business alive. Make it work. Yeah, to make it work because it, you know, it, it really motivated him. He did not want to lose these people's money. Right. Let, let's let's take this a little further. I mean, at times you you wished it had failed. You were telling your mother not to continue to invest in it. I you know you probably thought it was throwing good money after bad at points. What if, what if it had failed? And the reason I want to talk about that for a few minutes is because we've talked about how difficult it can be to be married to an entrepreneur, but. A huge, really, a large number of entrepreneurs do fail. They may start another business. They may not, but a large number do fail. And what kind of a toll does that take on a family? Well, you know, the statistics are, at least the most recent I've seen, is that 50% of businesses fail in the first five years. And of those that survive, 50% of those fail in the next five years. So you're right. The odds are against success uh, in business, uh, and therefore, you know, I mean, the issue of business failure crops up all the time. Matter of fact, I have a chapter to that uh, devoted to that subject in the book because it can certainly tear a, a couple and even a family apart. And it's really important. There are many things that you can do, and my book is full of suggestions and strategies for you know what to do. Uh, and examples uh, from couples uh, who have lost their businesses and how they have gone on to, you know, survive uh, as a family and as a couple, even in the wake of that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you do need certain safeguards uh, in place. And this also speaks to the, the level of financial risk that the entrepreneur takes. I know many uh, entrepreneurs who have taken out a line of credit on their home yes. or use their home as collateral for a loan. Yes. And I, you know, and I really, I urge against this without the spouse's approval, you know, consent and approval. The entrepreneurs I know who've done it did not seek the consent of their spouses. Oh my. <laughs> and then suddenly, you know, you lose your business and you lose your home at the same time. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. So, you know, I think the spouse has to be uh, on board for at least certain, you know, certain of these risks that the entrepreneur is is going to take. And that, you know, that kind of conversation will help in the end if, if the business goes under. Yes. You know, we've talked we've talked a lot about the financial side of things, but just in general, on a day-to-day kind of basis, um your spouse goes off to the business and maybe you as, as the spouse, uh the non-entrepreneurial spouse go off to your job as well and and you come home and you're ready to turn it off because you you don't have an entrepreneur you know you're not your own business owner. But how do you survive? Just some basic survival tips and techniques for living with that spouse, just in general, on a day-to-day basis. Well, you know, it's a good question because, um, and, I, and I actually have written some about this as well, because you have to figure out what to share with. If you own a business, you have to figure out what you're going to share with your spouse, because they may not have the risk tolerance that you do. True. And, you know, and they also, they're in a, you know, in this weird situation where they are completely dependent. Their financial future lies 
on the success or failure of what you're doing as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And yet they have usually no say or input into how you manage things. And so, you know, the spouse is in, is in kind of a, you know, funny position like that. And so I think, first of all, couples need to decide what it is that they're going to discuss. I mean, I got to the point where I couldn't hear a financial report. It freaked <laughs> sure. me out as much. And I had no control over it. I was helpless. And that's a terrible feeling for somebody to have. So we got to the point where we would just talk about, you know, new products or new accounts secured or there's just some things that were going on in the business. I think it's important to have some things that you can talk about uh, because otherwise you wind up leading parallel lives and people aren't, you know, communicating about the most important parts of their day. And that's, that's a bad thing, too. I was just going to point out that uh, whereas the spouse may be freaked out by some of the information that the entrepreneurial spouse is is telling them, on the other hand, the entrepreneur often feels isolated because they can't talk about some of these things to their employees, and so they're they're eager to share it with their spouse, and, and if the spouse isn't in, in a position to be accepting of that, you know, it, it can be very... Uh, there could be a lot of tension because of that, too. Agreed. And, you know, I think Gary, from those years when we were, you know, on the edge of bankruptcy, mm-hmm. you know, I think he was very much in that position. And that's why I really encourage entrepreneurs to find other entrepreneurs yes. to talk to. Yes. Because they, can't, they have to understand the position that their spouse is in, mm-hmm. which is not an easy one. Right. And, you know, again, I, I do think it's important to discuss some, some things related to the business. Right. But think what, what you can talk about and what you can't talk about. And the other thing that I recommend is that you find, you know, you be careful about the timing of these things. Like, sure. to, you know, to spring, to spring, you know, there you are brushing your teeth ready to go to bed. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, we lost this account today. You know, it's like, no, that is not a good time, uh, you know, to bring something up that's mm-hmm. significant to business. And I also recommend scheduling. I think this is important. Like, you know, every Sunday for 15 minutes, we're just going to sit and have coffee and catch up about the business. Mm, that's a good idea. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that there's a regular time that the spouse knows that they're going to get at least some update, and then the spouse can, you know, should really feel free to ask questions, make suggestions, you know, whatever. But mm-hmm. just have this kind of regular right. time because otherwise... You know, there's, it's just too isolating and then too many questions build up uh, and concerns aren't aired and stuff like that. Exactly. Meg, you have so much information that we just don't have time to share here today, but your book covers it all. Where can our listeners find your book? Well, the book is easily available on um, Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. And then I have a regular blog now on Inc.com the website. I was writing for the actual magazine, but now I'm writing for the website. Okay. So I, I continue to discuss, you know, to, to, to air some of these issues. I have a Twitter handle, it's at Meg Hirschberg, and they can also email me, uh, Meg at MegHirschberg.com. Okay, and that's easy enough, Meg at MegHirschberg.com. Thank you very much for being our guest today and for sharing all of your insights. Uh, We've been talking with Meg Hirschberg, the author of For Better or For Work, A Survival Guide for Entrepreneurs and Their Families. Check it out on Amazon.com. And if you'd like to learn how to grow your business, please visit us at www.ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Twitter at IThinkBigger or visit our Facebook page at Thinking Bigger. Business Media. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.